Chapter Five of From Tangier to Tripoli by Frank G. Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Behind the Scenes with the Sultan. Come behind the scenes with me and take a look at Mulai Abid El Aziz, the Sultan of Morocco. He is the ruler of the best part of northwestern Africa. His empire is almost one twelfth the size of the whole United States and more than five million Berbers and Moors look upon him with reverence. The Sultan is just 26 years of age, with all the strength of full-blooded youth. He has a muddy white complexion, and his slightly bloated face bears the marks of smallpox, which he had years ago. He has a straight nose, a large mouth, a long upper lip, and a somewhat receding chin. Like all his people, he never shaves his face, but his curly black full beard is so thin that it does not show much in the picture. He has rather a blasé air, wearing, in ordinary conversation, a somewhat bored look. He seems to have sucked dry the orange of power and luxury, and to care more to take things easy and have a good time than to rule. Indeed, I understand that he would be glad to leave the throne, for he thinks the game of governing a country as turbulent as this is not worth the candle. He is fast losing prestige with his own people, by consorting with foreigners and were it not for his position in the mohammedan hierarchy he would ere this have had to step down and out all the rest of the mohammedans of the world acknowledge some kind of allegiance to the sultan of turkey this is true of our moros and of the fifty odd million mussulmans of india as well as of the lesser number in turkey and egypt but these moors will not let the turkish sultan send a representative here they acknowledge no allegiance to him, considering that only the family of this young man has the right to the title of commander and ruler of the faithful. Indeed, the sultans of Morocco are perhaps the most blue-blooded monarchs on earth. Abd el-Aziz, the 35th lineal descendant of Ali, the uncle and son-in-law of the prophet Mohammed, is the 15th monarch in his own dynasty. His father was the famed Mulai Hassan, who was sultan for twenty-one years during which he ruled with an iron hand when about to die he chose as his successor abd el aziz his son by a circassian slave imported from turkey although he had other and older sons the sultan is the high priest of the religion of this country as well as its chief executive he is called the great imam or prince of true believers and he prays for all one of his chief elements of strength is the power of conferring blessings which has come down to him from mohammed he is supposed to have this direct from god but if any other man of his family could make the people believe that he had this power in a greater degree he could easily raise a rebellion and oust mulai abid el aziz from the throne this was attempted by bu hamara the so-called son of the she ass who falsely claimed to be an elder brother of abid el aziz and who by sleight of hand tricks made the people think he was performing miracles he started a revolution and the soldiers broke out into an insurrection notwithstanding the fact that their officers gave them a flogging and dusted out their mouths with red pepper for speaking against his majesty this bu hamara was eventually put down but the rebellion was quelled by a compromise whereby the son of the she ass has like Rizuli, been bribed with a fat office he is now ruling a large section of the country this would seem to put a premium on a second rebellion 
like the old emperors of china the sultan makes sacrifices for his whole nation this he does by killing a sheep on every bayram or mohammedan easter at this time every good moorish family is supposed to offer up sacrifices and it is estimated that as many as thirty thousand sheep are killed on that day in the city of fez the sheep are brought in from the surrounding country and mutton prices rise to such an extent that a good fat ram or ewe will bring thirty dollars if there were such a custom in america the market would surely be cornered the sheep killing is started by the sultan surrounded by a large concourse of people one of the holy preachers first sings out a sermon after which the sheep is handed over to his majesty he cuts its throat and as the blood gushes forth the bands play and the cannon thunder the news is sent out all over the city whereupon the sacrificing begins extending to every part of morocco bairam is the great festal occasion of all the year the moors come out in their good clothes the soldiers have new uniforms and the people who like pious moslems everywhere have been fasting throughout ramazan which is their lent give themselves up to rejoicing the chiefs of the various tribes are then supposed to send presents to the sultan and in the past vast sums have been received some tribes bring money often running into thousands of dollars some horses and some slaves a negress being a common gift during the present year the gifts were few and the horses poor this was the result of the recent rebellions and was brought about by the association of the sultan with europeans and the jealousy and distrust with which his people regard him indeed the monarch's tastes seem to be christian rather than mohammedan he is so fond of western methods that he would if he could introduce them into his empire he has made some attempts to do so but his people object and this is one cause of his unpopularity he is notwithstanding an independent young man and persists in courting the favor of the foreigners i am told that he spends a part of every day with europeans and that he is not all exclusive in his selection of them one high-class moor here complains to me that his majesty allows common merchants and other tradesmen to come to the palace while others tell me that he has spent millions on all sorts of foreign knick-knacks which some of his christian friends have begged him to buy one of his extravagances is a camera of solid gold which cost him ten thousand dollars at the same time he bought two thousand dollars worth of printing paper and thirty three thousand dollars worth of other supplies his photographic outfit in addition to the camera cost him all told thirty five thousand dollars a large part of which went as a matter of course into the pockets of those who ordered it another recent purchase is a bedstead of crystal mirrors with pendants like a chandelier the story goes that he sees three images of himself whenever he crawls into bed and that the pendants jingle when he turns over he has bicycles made of aluminum on which he delights to play bicycle polo with his friends he learns all sorts of games easily and can do no end of bicycle tricks he will ride up a steep plank and down again and he has ruined several fine wheels by crashing into the walls the sultan has a number of automobiles a london hansom and a coach of state his gold coach which cost many thousands of dollars now stands outside the palace at the mercy of the weather in the meantime the sultan's foreign friends who have ordered these things for him are making fat fortunes and are working the young man for all he is worth every foreign thing he buys costs him ten times what it is worth 
and his ministers and friends absorb the profits they are already rolling in luxury in fact every one about abd el aziz steals both from him and his people i am told that the whole income of morocco has gone into extravagant expenditures the taxes bringing something like five million dollars a year yet morocco is now several hundred thousand dollars in debt one of the europeans here tells me he thinks that the sultan has salted down a pretty penny for a rainy day while another courtier says that he is strange to say almost mean in the expenditures which come out of his own immediate treasury he will quibble about an outlay of one hundred dollars if the money is to be paid down on the nail and at the same time will dash off without thinking an order for one of his custom houses to pay over a sum of ten thousand or more in taxes any one who understands the jealousy and hatred which the moors feel for christians can easily see how unpopular such actions on the part of their ruler must be the better classes are no fools and it is hard for them to respect even a sultan who does such foolish and irreligious things as i have said they are opposed on religious grounds to pictures and photographs so the sultan's golden kodak is particularly offensive to them while the fact that he is a really good photographer does not better the matter they do not approve of his buying a yacht and having it carried inland to fez to be played with on the little river near there they are angry about the crown he ordered at a cost of a hundred thousand dollars or so for it is against the mohammedan religion for the sultan to wear a crown and his people objected especially to his coronation coach as a moor's home life is not supposed to be known outside his immediate family no european ever sees the sultan's harem i doubt whether any mohammedan man except his own eunuchs has ever crossed its threshold and it would be improper to question his majesty as to the health of the multitudinous ladies of his household nevertheless the gossip gets out in one way or another and i am able to give you some idea of this feature of the sultan's establishment according to the koran every man has the right to four wives and no end of concubines the palaces are large and the sultan himself lives on the first floor in a suite of big rooms at the four corners of which his wives have their apartments each wife has her own quarters and servants but all are subject to the rule of certain slave women called arifas negro concubines who were specially favored by mulai hassan this sultan's father the ruler's real wives must be chosen from the different branches of the royal family so that he is forced to marry his cousins the sultan of morocco is frequently presented with secondary wives or concubines by his tribal chiefs the girls are often sent up for his approval especially at the feast of bairam and he can select for his household such as may take his fancy in addition he has a large number of cold black negresses purchased from time to time in the local slave markets and also other women imported from the orient this potentate has many palaces he has quarters in nearly every town in his dominions and the governor's home here in tangier belongs to him he has four different capitals one in southern morocco one in central morocco one at tafelelt and another at fez this last is the largest and everything there is managed on a vast scale the palace is surrounded by walls it is in the dar el makazan where all the government officials live the buildings contain no end of bedrooms and living rooms as well as a large kitchen and dairy they swarm with servants both male and female 
the kitchens are managed by negro cooks and among the other manservants are the men of the bath men of the tea and men of the water there are also men of the bed and men of the mat the bathmen have to do with the imperial chamber the tea men make the royal tea using the best of the green leaves and mixing them with mint the bed men have charge of the sultan's tent when he camps and the mat men bring his prayer rug and spread it out for him at the hours for prayer in addition there are negro men slaves who take charge of the sultan's horses and mules there are others who walk behind him when he goes out for an airing to flick off the flies and a third set that carries the imperial parasol to shut out the rays of the sun in the harem itself or rather in his own private apartments the sultan is attended by women only his servants are concubines and slaves like the manservant they are organized into classes each slave having her special job he has girls of the wash basin girls of the soap and girls of the towel there is one set of females who help him at his bath and another whose business it is to serve his meals his majesty now eats alone although as long as his mother was alive he took his meals with her he eats with his fingers and i doubt not in so doing considers himself more cleanly than you or me the mohammedans have a saying that everyone knows whether one has washed his fingers but no one can tell who has washed the knives and forks before eating the young sovereign lays his hands in scented warm water repeating this performance at the close of his meal his food is so cooked that it can be easily broken and much of his meat is served in small bits his chief meal is at midday he also takes something on rising and a light supper in the evening as far as i can learn the moorish ruler has a soft snap he works only in the morning devoting the afternoon to his foreign friends to playing polo billiards bicycling or any other amusement which may suit him his evenings are spent with the numerous members of his family he rises early drinks a cup of coffee and then says his prayers in doing the latter he faces toward mecca and goes through all the motions prescribed by the most rigid mohammedan rules he has a mosque in his palace grounds which he attends every friday at the close of his morning devotions his majesty goes from his palace to the great buildings where he holds his court and where the various officials have their offices here he enters a small room off by itself and sends for such of his ministers as he desires to see he leaves his work largely to his officials doing no more of it himself than he can help at noon he stops for dinner after which he takes a smoke and a nap rising about three o'clock he frequently has music in his palace and is said to play well on the violin and guitar he has more than one hundred musicians and all sorts of instruments he has a piano upon which he drums at times his mother having taught him to play from a moorish standpoint the sultan is well educated he can recite a great part of the koran and is well up in moslem law he gets papers from all parts of the world and has a clipping bureau which furnishes him with extracts on all matters relating to morocco he has a cabinet consisting of a grand vizier a secretary of state a secretary of the interior and a secretary of war he has also a chief chamberlain a chief treasurer and a chief administrator of customs he has had an army of ten thousand or fifteen thousand men and at times as many as twenty thousand troops in different parts of morocco the soldiers are said to be armed with good weapons and to have a few batteries of field guns within the last year the army seems to have grown weaker and weaker the rebellion of bu hamara the capture of perdicaris 
and the ransom forced from the sultan by Rezuli, together with the foreign complications have made his majesty so unpopular that his support is drifting away from him one of the big mistakes sultan abed el aziz made was in dismissing his minister of war and chief adviser c al medi el minabi he was in high favor and the real ruler of morocco until the rebellion of the so-called son of the shias who claimed to be the elder brother of the sultan but after that was forced to resign minabi's excuse for leaving fez was that he wanted to make a pilgrimage to mecca he went there via the mediterranean and after getting back settled in tangier becoming a british subject and thereby protecting himself against any possible persecution from his enemies who had taken his place with the sultan it is said that Menebi saved a lot of money while he was one of the sultan's chief officials and that instead of burying it in the walls of his house at fez or under its floors as is sometimes done by the moors he deposited it in the bank of england to his own order this prevented his enemies getting possession of his fortune after his settlement here in tangier he withdrew the money and invested a great part of it in a large apartment house and other buildings his own home is one of the finest in the city and i doubt not will compare favorably with any private home in the country it was in tangier that i had an interview with this interesting character traveling upon my mule through the narrow streets i rode with my party by the kasbab or the governor's palace past the soldiers and officials sitting at the gate of the city and on into the country about a half mile from the city gates we came to a walled enclosure with a plain unpretentious door we knocked upon this and it was opened by negro slaves who took charge of our mules passing in through a sort of porter's lodge where a half dozen other slaves were sitting we found ourselves in a great court or park surrounded by moorish buildings the rooms of which looked out upon it this park was made up largely of gardens filled with beautiful flowers and semi-tropical plants and trees one section of it contained a tennis court with a cement floor as smooth as marble where the ex-minister delights to play tennis with his european friends there is a central path through the gardens down which we walked until we came into two great reception rooms where the war minister receives his men friends passing through the first set of parlors which are floored with mosaic and luxuriously furnished we came into a large room walled with glass looking out upon the atlantic ocean the house is built on a high bluff overhanging the sea and the mountains of spain were in plain sight across the waves we could hear the surf roar as it dashed itself against the rocks below at the entrance to this room stood two tall clocks of the kind that sell in the united states for five hundred dollars apiece and play chimes at the striking of the hours the tiled floor was covered with oriental rugs the great divans were upholstered in rich red moroccan leather while about the walls were cases containing rare china swords rifles and other weapons inlaid with gold and silver the surroundings were those of a man of taste and this was my impression of the ex-minister when he appeared c el medi el Menebi is a typical moor of the better class and of a kind one does not expect to find in what is generally known as one of the black spots of this black continent he would make one of the handsomest othellos who ever trod the stage he is tall straight and fine-looking his moorish costume making him look even taller than he actually is he has a light complexion and like all moorish men 
wears a full beard his whiskers being brown and curly and as fine as spun silk a broad forehead with large hazel eyes may be seen below his white turban his nose is straight and his cheekbones are high his costume consisted of a long white woolen gown or burnous with a hood at the back and sleeves so wide that they showed his forearms to the elbows the skin was as white as yours or mine as we watched he now and then smiled showing a good set of strong teeth and he twice perceptibly yawned in the course of my brief interview with him i asked mr minebi whether his people made good soldiers both the berbers and moors are brave to an excess he replied they have excellent fighting stuff in them and if the time comes when the tribes can be organized and welded together an army of a hundred thousand men could be raised as it is now each tribe furnishes a certain quota of mounted men and these all together make up the army one large clan may furnish two thousand soldiers a second a regiment and a third only a company such soldiers are officered by the tribal chiefs who are subordinate to the general of the sultan there are so many quarrels among the different divisions that it is difficult to harmonize and organize them they are always warring among themselves and it would be only through religious feeling that they could be formed into a compact army organization in closing our conversation i asked mr minebi to send through me a few words of greeting to the american people saying your excellency is about the most progressive man in morocco and i should like to take from you a word of greeting to what we consider the most progressive nation of the western world the sultan's ex-war minister smiled at this his face however soon grew serious and he said i have a great admiration for you americans and i hope i shall be able to cross the atlantic to visit you the only message i have for you is that you should study this country and cultivate closer trade relations with it we have here some six million inhabitants and we are now large consumers of cottons and other things which americans make our homes are lighted chiefly by american petroleum and our people wear clothes made of stuff grown by you your raw cotton however goes to england and the english do the weaving and sell us the goods i understand that you have cotton mills of your own why not make the goods yourselves and get all the profit we moroccans are friendly to you and we would be glad to trade with you but as it is our chief supplies come from the various countries of europe mostly from england spain germany and france end of chapter five